0: We want to study now one of the classic cases where Teshuvah does not actually work. We've discussed the biblical sources, spoke about Kain and Hevel, that Hevel Teshuvah, not Teshuvah. We've discussed some of the Talmudic sources, some of the surprising aspects of Teshuvah that we find in Tammudic sources, how powerful Teshuvah actually is. And of course, the prelude to Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, we want to focus, we want to emphasize, the concept of teshuvah, its ramifications, its implications, its expansiveness—all that it does. The Talmud is really the source which actually gives us the greatest depth of teshuvah in telling us some of the stamps that we've studied about. Something like in Gemaran Berachot, which makes the point that we're all familiar with—that a person does full teshuvah. A person does a full introspection, awareness, regret, remorse for his past deeds, and a commitment to the future. A person does all of that. He's on the highest level, higher than any righteous person, higher than anybody. Why? Because he's seen it, he's been there, he's tasted it, and he's made that extraordinarily profound commitment towards turning around, towards change, towards answer. What does Shuvan... Well, the way that Maimonides defines it, it's really a four-step process. First, you have to have awareness. Second, you have to have... Vidui, verbalization of the transgression. right? Verbalization it would be Vidui. The Raman says that's a necessary step. Third of all, one would have Harata, regret. right? Awareness, Vidui, regret. Because shuvah. if you don't really regret it, then what really is it all about, which we discussed on Saturday night. As well as Kabbalah Ha'atid, which means a commitment towards the future. And all of the examples that we gave are very relevant because the person doesn't have regret, doesn't have... A awareness or doesn't think he really did something wrong, he's not going to make it. I did a, what I did was fine, it's okay, but I'm sorry for it anyway. But what are you sorry for if it's, if it's fine, it's okay? So there has to be all these elements to fully accomplish the process of Teshuvah, which means answer, which means return, which means, I guess the best word is, confession would be the doing more so. Repentance, I think. I think repentance is probably the all-encompassing term. I'm sorry.
1: Is that what you do? I know that sometimes, like in between Russia you know, around this time, people start calling me up and apologizing.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's will be part of teshuvah. It shouldn't be. <laughs> no,
1: but there isn't there a term for that? Teshuvah. Yeah. Yeah, it
0: shouldn't be pro form, It should be sincerely.
1: No, no, like, like if somebody said, you know, like you know, like I. You did something at a certain time, and I thought badly of you at that time because you did right. it. Right. Right. Without um, knowing the background, the circumstances. So I, you know, and even though she didn't verbalize to me, you know, what she was thinking because she had the thoughts against me, you know, she called me up to apologize for. You it's know, appropriate, I right. I think that's it's appropriate. I think it, it went back
2: to her or was said to her. Right. And it's appropriate. That if I'm thinking a bad thought. I'm going to call you up and say I had a bad thought. Or I was thinking terrible things about you. She's going to say, why would you want
0: to be? I um, agree. It depends upon what the net effect is going to be, be.
2: In contact with me. The effect could,
0: the effect could be, oh, what a nice person. Or it could be the opposite. The effect could be, what kind of a horrid human being is this to have bad thoughts to begin with, etc. Right. Unless so it could be,
1: we had an argument. Yeah. And then I'm calling up. a That's a different issue. You're right. right. It depends or, on the circumstances. Or somebody you know says, you know, meant to call me and speak to me, and then they just like kind of didn't speak to me the whole year. You know, we're kind of kept canceling on me when we made plans. You know, so right, so, <coughs> they <coughs> you right. you so then I? they call me and say, you know, like at this time of year I start getting phone calls. Like, you know, I'm so sorry that I didn't stay in touch with you. all right that's appropriate. Oh, I'm sorry yeah. that I didn't. It's appropriate. It brings people together. on you, you know. So yes. I start getting all these phone calls now. All that would that
0: be vdui. Be yeah, verbalization. Yeah, v a d u i. I guess would be the v e d u i. Yeah, they're sorry that they did it. They're sorry. Oh, they're
2: sorry they did it. Okay. Right,
0: so all that would be appropriate. But beyond that, we've seen how it can change a person's life, it can change a person's past even. That's one of the most striking of all statements to begin with. The very fact that a person does sincere teshuva, either out of love or out of fear, two different issues, the person's personal past history is changed by virtue of that person's regret, introspection, feeling sorry for what he or she had done. So all that's part of the commutic view of it. Okay. I want to go back. Because
1: Lynn had a really good point the other night. Like, suppose, you know, it wasn't like a drastic boom, like one day you're this and then, you know, because you were scared or suddenly you woke up. It wasn't all the, so the sunrise, it you know, it's a, but okay. You know, like you just, you felt like there was this emptiness in your life and then you started and it was a gradual type of making teshuvah. You know, where where do you where is your status then?
0: I, it's a good question. I think the answer would be that...
1: You because know, where do your marriage from the past become? <laughs> you know, like with me, it was, you know, I grew up in a secular house. We were reformed. I felt something was terribly lacking in my life, though my parents were very happy that way. Right. So I started learning with Shlomo Carbock, my since he Right. And he brought in me... In the city. You In, the, in, in the city. In Manhattan. I used to go to his learning. Right. you know, and sure. that started bringing me... So that was, by the time I met my husband, you know, I was... He
0: was, he was raised Orthodoxly. Like, yeah. No,
1: my husband was raised... Conservative. Conservative mm-hmm. Orthodox. You know, right. right. But he was looking for somebody also who was right. willing to... Go the next ...travel step. that road and go the next step. So we right. were traveling the road together type right. of thing. Right. But it wasn't like one of these types of things. It was, you know, it's a gradual, gradual s- step. So where are my merits from the past?
0: It's a good question. Uh, Perhaps it doesn't fall into either category. You're saying it doesn't. It's not out of certainly not out of fear. There's nothing right. to fear. It was
1: accident
0: Yeah, I mean, or, or even on. I would say on a deeper level, you could say that feeling something is missing from your life is almost. It borders on needing something, wanting something, caring about something. So doesn't that isn't that more more in the ball game of or in the ballpark of love than it is fear? There's no fear involved. Right. You weren't not concerned fear, about that. But it's, when you need, you're looking for something, you need something, if something makes sense, and, and all of us at one point or other are there, it wasn't this passionate awareness that all of a sudden took place, you're right, but this gradual concern, involvement.
1: You know, solely giving up things, you know, first giving yeah. up, you know, right things that I used to eat, you know. And right, step by up, step, right. You know, right. making it a step by step thing, you know, and keeping kosher just in the house, and keeping kosher now. But let's let's look at it at you
0: know, a certain right. point you're doing because you want to do this. Right. So at a certain point, when your teshuvah is complete, that's true of all people, but let's say at a, when you reach that point, is it not so that at a certain point you're doing because you want to, because you love to, because you love it, God, you love the whole package, the whole scenario. So that might be more in that category. Even a love affair with a human being does not necessarily begin with a bang, doesn't have to be with a bang, it could be something that gradually grows. You go out, get to know the person, and it could grow. It's not necessarily love at first sight. So the culmination is feeling that sense of love and commitment to that person. So to over here. You're beginning slowly and getting to know and you're feeling your way. And eventually it comes to that point where you're doing this mainly because of this great feeling of love that you have for, for God, for religion, for the people, for the whole, the whole package. So it might be more in that ballpark. And okay. so at, at a certain point that we all do this because we you know, very few people in the modern world. And tell Someone me if you think... Exactly. Exactly. No, but you don't, we don't feel fearful. Why are we not fearful now? You, most people are not. It's not that same image of this awe-inspiring God that is going to strike us down dead. We don't feel. We don't perceive. We don't look to it that way. Most people today will just, at least in my circles, they're not in all circles, but in my circles, because they choose to be. They want to be. They feel fulfilled by this. They, they love doing what they're doing. A sense of gratefulness to God, and gratefulness borders on love of God. It's it just it's a whole complex of emotions. Yeah, I would say that that's where it comes down to. you know. I, although it doesn't begin that way necessarily in this dramatic fashion, but the small step towards that does ultimately result in that is what it seems to be. What it seems I to be.
2: The fear would be when you're challenged and you say, well, should I do it this way or that? And then you say, you know what? I do have a fear. In the back of your mind, you have a fear. Okay, could be back or of your mind. could be. Right. But on an everyday basis, it's more of a love of God. I agree. And certainly
0: it's a complex, a complex of emotions that are involved over here. Mm-hmm. It's both, and one day has one more than the other. I think it works that way. Okay, let's open up to page 338. In page 338, we want to find out a scenario of Teshuvah that actually fails. There are many cases where they succeed, but sometimes they, in fact, fail. And when it does fail, we see how sorry it actually is, how sad it actually is. We're talking over here now about the reign of King Shaul. Shaul was the first king of Israel who reigned around the year 1020 to the year 1000, 20 years, correct. He's a man who was not interested in the kingship, did not seek out the power and glory that's involved in the kingship. And that's precisely perhaps why God actually chose him to become the king, because he was not searching for it. And here King Shaul is throned, enthroned as the king of Israel. We won't go to the background material which is the earlier chapters of the book of Shemuel. How it happens is an interesting issue. But chapter 13 speaks about his first great failing as a king. Shaul chooses 3,000 men from Israel. 3,000 men. That would be later on. This is a much more subtle case, a much more subtle situation. Chooses 3,000 men and they're going to do battle against the Pilishtim. Pilishtim are the arch enemy of the Jewish people. They had already encroached upon the territory of Israel. They came originally around the year twelve, thirteen hundred from some say Cyprus, some say Crete, across the Mediterranean, Asia Minor, they land on the coast, they do battle against the Canaanites at that point in time, had failed to make greater incursions into Israel, to push back to the sea, they're known as the seafaring people. They had five major cities along the coast, Gaza Ekron, Ashtot, Today, there's still biblical cities of those names. And they stay. Shaul becomes the king, and they make greater incursions. So now Shaul's first job as king is to protect the Jewish people from the Pelishtim. The The Pelishtim are a strong people. Verse 3, His son Yonatan smites the head of the Pelishtim, a small outpost, a place called Geva. Pelishtim hear about this. Shaul blasts the Shafad and all the land. He says, let all the Hebrews hear of this. Ivrim. At that point in time, Jews are known as Hebrews. Ivrim. Later on, of course, they become from the tribe of Judah known as Jews. Judea, Jews, Judah. Now they're known as the Hebrews. Now, all the Israelites in verse 4 hear about this. That Shaul was able to smite this outpost of Philistine And at this point in time, the Jewish people have become disgusted by the Pelishtim. They all gather all excited about now finally vanquishing the Pilistim. Good. Pilistim gathered to do battle against Israel. There's 30,000, Shoshim Elif, 30,000 Rehab chariots, 6,000 horsemen, and a multitude of people like the sands by the sea. Massive, massive issue over here. Shoal has 3,000 soldiers. 3,000 soldiers. He's facing a very formidable army. They go up to this place called Mechmash, east of the place called Bet Avin. The Israel, the Jewish people, saw that we're in very difficult straits right now. Look what we're facing. The people decided that it's too difficult to do battle. The people hide. In the caves, in the crevices, in the cracks, in the rocks, in the pits. When they had seen the kind of army they're going to face, they decided, we can't do this. They are petrified. They hide. The Ivrim Avru Te it's God the Gil'ad. Now, the Hebrews had, some had crossed the Jordan River. They'd gone across the Jordan River, and they now are in the God in Gil'ad. They had left the battlefield. They're not interested in doing this. Shaul is still in the Gilgal, where he had become enthroned as a king. All of the people, Haridu, Harav, were trembling after him. He waits seven days to the time that Shimuel told him to wait. Now let's try to find out where that took place. We go back a little bit, a few chapters. Right? And we look to, it looks like it's on chapter one second. 10, which is on page 335, chapter 10, this is when Shaul was spiritually enthroned over the the people of Israel as king. He had three distinct signs that had to take place for him to believe that he was actually going to become the king, taking the most nondescript, modest, humble person. He himself did not believe that this is really happening to him. So, Shemuel has to prove to him that he's going to be the king. So, he gives him three distinct signs, things that are going to happen. And when this happens, he feels this surge of energy. He becomes a different person. Now he's king. All right. Now we look at verse 8. You're going to go and leave this place called Gilgal. And I'm going to come to you to offer a ritual sacrifice. And offer all these burnt offerings. Seven days wait till I come to you. Then I'll tell you what to do. Right? Look at verse 9. And took place that when he turned his shoulder in order to leave Shemuel, Elohim, Hashem, had turned his heart. He became a different person. All of those signs took place. He met the right people at, Funny
2: because later on he takes away his
0: heart. Yes, exactly, which is very striking. Yeah. yeah what happens later on?
2: Then I gave you a new heart. Now he took that
0: new heart Right, away. right, and that's because of this failure that he, that he does. But now the failure really is not in that he did not do what Shemuel wanted him to do, but rather because the Tushabah came too late, and that we'll see in a minute. So now the instructions are very clear: wait seven days. As a result of waiting seven days, you will then offer the sacrifice. You cannot do what you want to do without going through the right religious motions, is what he's saying over here. Now, you could raise the question. <clears throat> if Abraham
2: waits three days to sacrifice, yes. that, isn't that the same type of thing where don't do it hastily? Like good. Excellent it out, point. Think about it?
0: Preparation. Good point. Very, so very good point. to
2: see if it's the right thing.
0: Yes, because Judaism, I would say, has almost a knee-jerk fear of spontaneous outbursts of religiosity. Right. Because it's not structured. Because where can it lead? No. don't know. Let's say, for example... Exactly. Absolutely. Well, we'll see over here.
1: Can get fanatic, you know, That's why we're
0: concerned about that. Right. Let's say, for example, if anybody experiences an overwhelming either joy... Or disaster and response to religiously in an inappropriate fashion somebody passed away they go crazy they lose their mind they lose their balance they lose everything they are rooted in they tear themselves which is a pagan way to relate to kind of tragedy you tear your flesh you cut yourself That's not what we want you want to guide the person who has explosive emotions in the right channels you don't want massive changes in a person's personality or behavior. So, there is a notion of slowly approaching the ultimate religious experience. Take, for example, the nine Look at the book of Exodus for a minute. The book of Exodus, chapter Shemot. We look at chapter 19. Chapter 19 gives the preliminaries to ha Sinai. This is on page 85. An entire dialogue goes on between Moshe, Hashem, and the Jewish people. Moshe goes to God, God tells Moshe, Moshe goes to the people, etc. Now look at verse 11. Verse 11 tells me over here, which point? Third day. You want to wait before anything's going to happen, you have to prepare yourselves. How are you going to prepare yourself? You're going to sanctify yourself. Today and tomorrow. Washing of clothes. Page eighty five, verse ten and eleven. Oh, okay. Ten and eleven. Right? They have to prepare themselves. Preparation. We're not going to jump into this. Preparation. For any massive religious event, it seems as you pointed out also. It seems to be an, a necessary step is proper preparation, to focus, to make sure that you're not go, jumping into this. So it's stay tomorrow, and wash your clothes. Why are you washing your clothes? Yet yeah, a change of clothes is probably cleansing, to feel cleansed. It's a symbolic change. You are now becoming a people of Israel. You're going to change your whole behavioral mode. And on the third day, get ready for the third day. On the third day, God shall appear before you in Har Sinai. It's exactly the same point that you were mentioning. Proper preparation. Not jumping into it. So, so too over here, you become a different person. We don't want extreme radical changes. Seven days have to go by. Shemuel tells Shaul. Seven days have to go by, then I'm going to come to you and go to the right, proper, religious steps before you become the king of Israel. Part of, that, part of those steps is the anointing. Shemuel anoints, takes a special kind of oil and pours it over him. The anointing of Shaul is perhaps the first step. Then comes all these signs take place. Second step. And now Sha- Shaul is told by Shemuel, wait for seven days and then I'll meet you. We will then offer the right sacrifices and then fine, And then you'll be fully enthroned as king. What is,
2: think he's supposed to be thinking in those seven days?
0: What this means? Implications. My whole life has just changed. I was he a small town boy. Probably not a whole lot. But he's innocent. He's pure. And he's, young. he's young. He's about 20 years old. He's ready to learn. God does not necessarily take finished products. To the contrary. Was Moshe a finished product when God appears to him? No, he was the prince of Egypt. He had negative traits, you might say. He had all the appurtenances of Egypt. Grew up in the king's castle. And then he runs away. He stays a number of years with Yitro, as a pagan. So What does he have that's going for him? God wants the heart. God wants the willingness to learn, to change. That's what it seems to be. There's no finished parts over here, which is interesting. So, at this point over here, he's told that he needs the seven days preparation. I guess your point's well taken. Think through what this change means. Before the bringing of the sacrifices, you must think through what are the religious implications of being chosen as the king of Israel. It's not only a secular appointment. It's religious as well. And the key, most important, most critical variable over here is what? Realizing that the king of Israel Sorry? That can
2: it,
0: or that's one handle element. Handle it? That's one element. God doesn't really, it's interesting, doesn't ask you, can you handle it? He tells Moses, handle it. Tells Jeremiah, handle it. He's not asked, he is told. Handling it is not an issue over here. It's, it's not a question over here.
2: Digesting it maybe. It? But it's <laughs> more than that. But it's <laughs> no more than that. It's to think if can handle it. Just kind of that no, no, That's no, assuming no. he has I don't a chance. Anyway, it's just kind of digesting that. There's thing. no choice in the matter. No choice. Right. But what's the key
0: okay. issue? here. It's not handling it. issue is understanding that the most important element and key variable in Jewish leadership which we're talking about over here now is a, com- no, a complete and total commitment to obey whatever God says no matter where it takes you. It's an absolute. Right. Which means that you may have a different idea. You don't see the whole picture. The whole picture is God's picture. Hashem's picture is what's out there that, that actually transcends time and place. So God may tell you X, Y, or Z. So you have to prepare yourself to... That's
2: what the prophets did. They listened to the word of Hashem and followed...
0: Through. Exactly. Line by line, right. word by word. And
2: that's why they... You're not... Did not. Along the way, yes. They had right. From right. The
0: or yes, exactly. Now, you have to be willing to submit to the, to the fact that people are going to hate you for your decisions, whatever it may be. You have to do what what Hashem tells you to do. Period. There's no evaluation. It's from God's mouth to your ears, to your action to your deed. You must do exactly what God wants you to do without any issues of challenge, questioning, deviation. Every dot and iota. You must cross every T, dot every I to do exactly what God wants. Because the fate of all of Israel may be hanging in the balance. What you do is critical. Was it
2: wrong for Moshe to
0: challenge? Depends what the context.
2: The challenge challenge and say, don't, might, don't was, is that a challenge
0: to I think, yes. And there is a certain role that challenge has to play. And I guess, as a leader, you have to know when to challenge, when not to challenge. When to ask, when not to ask. You raise Abraham. Abraham challenges very powerfully in the context of, context of Saddam and Amorah, he says, shall the judge of the whole not do justice? God, you got to do this my way. It's a very strong challenge. On the other hand, is not a peep out of Abraham. Abraham understood, this is the next religious challenge that I have to meet by submission, by acceptance. This is the yoke of becoming okay, God's people. And
2: in Noah, he didn't fight for the people and that seems to be like a negative.
0: Well, we also, right, by the way, oh, he, he
2: said, there's going to be a flood, and he didn't say, well, let me
0: take the 40 righteous people. Right, so you Muslim have to, right, go, so you have to. And that way
2: he said, if this is what God wants. God wait, to make okay, look,
0: b- besides everything else, we always want to make a distinction between the text and commentary, and Midrash. So now you are relating, the, wait, 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 yeah, well, it is, but it's not, because you're right. The Midrash does, in fact, raise that as an issue, making a great distinction between Abraham and Noah. Abraham is saying they can do teshuvah. To put it into our context, Noah didn't even raise the issue. So, but although it is a midrashic comment, it really is the text because the text is, is telling us that Noah did nothing in terms of the people. He just built. Now he just built. So the question over here now would be: Is that inappropriate? Not inappropriate. From the midrashic point of view, it was inappropriate not to at least go out to the people. Now we might go back to the time of Noah and raise that question: Is it always appropriate to ask? a people to do Teshuvah, or not. Midash says, you should always ask. But No may, may have been either aware that he should ask and not do so, because it's not appropriate at this point. These people are so evil, they shouldn't be doing Teshuvah. The only answer to this whole crisis is what? Get rid of them. That might have been Noach's evaluation. Or, Noach may not have even thought there's an issue over here. God said it, I do it, period, end story. In which case, the is saying no. The fact that God said it, and I should do it, it's not the end of the story. Midrash wants a personality that's going to challenge, question, but not every step of the way, because Midrash is not saying necessarily yes, that Abraham should have.
2: Meaning what? Noah understood,
0: understood
2: it. Right, but Abraham didn't. So now. He is, in which case? In Noah's case. He's listening because he felt that there was no justice in saving these people.
0: Who? Noah. Noah. But how do you know that? Abraham how do you know fact, that?
2: How do you no i don't know that this is what i'm just saying that would be in a madrashic statement
0: right but so on that end you might be right meaning the knock is a righteous man
2: well, it also if it, it came from you're talking at the same okay. time and i can't hear came both of you from hashem it has to be right exactly but abraham mm-hmm. said it's coming from hashem but maybe he didn't see this one person that was righteous Maybe he forgot about this one little family sitting
0: in a... Well, he doesn't say he forgot about, about it. No, no. I, don't, I will not say he forgot about it. Because you're, you're really touching upon... to
2: find <clears throat> that one goodness in a person. Yes,
0: he is. What is? It's, it's a striking, striking context. I mean, it's really powerful because what was Abraham really thinking? I don't think he thought that maybe God missed a, a trick. Maybe he missed a righteous <laughs> person. Maybe this, <laughs> the scumbag guy hiding on yeah, uh, right, exactly. uh, on uh, Logan Road that, that really is a righteous person that we, you missed over here. <laughs> No, it might have been an emotional outburst. Maybe Abraham is not thinking, logically saying over here that God said it, therefore it must be correct. What might have happened over here is twofold. Maybe it might be an emotional outburst saying, God said I'm going to show you I'm going to. No, how could you do this? There's righteousness. It's not well thought. That's a right. It's an emotional outburst. That's one possibility. The other possibility might be Abraham did think through it, and Abraham's Belief in his power and commitment to changing these people is what God's not taking into consideration. Meaning that God says these people, as they are right now, are evil. I don't want them to survive because they're evil. So Abraham's saying, Yes, but if I commit myself to changing them, I will teach them. I'll teach 10, 20, 30, 40. Maybe that is what Abraham had in mind. <clears throat> and so Abraham, therefore, is changing divine plans. Because divine plans are based on a certain road that people have taken. But Abraham's switching the road. Abraham's saying, No, I could get them to turn and change and go to a different road. So therefore, there's a chakra that we could save this whole city. So God's just saying, Look, you're right. Sometimes you can change people, and it's appropriate. Sometimes you cannot change people. I'm telling you now that you cannot change these people. You have to be aware of that, Abraham. Don't be this naive idealist that forever people can always change, and it's wonderful. You have a child, the child's going out with a uh, heavy-duty drug person. So you say, oh, naively, oh my daughter will change this person. Oh, my son will change this person. I'm not going to worry about it. He'll become a great saint. Good morning. Good morning. Smell the coffee. Right. So that's what you want to make sure. Don't be so naive. So there's a certain bottom line, hard and fast rule, that not everybody's always going to change. It. Some people may change. Change is very much a part of the human fabric. We agree. But some people simply cannot change. Some might could not change. By contrast, what we may do next week, is Yonah. What happens in Yonah? God says they can change. They did change. I like these people. I'm going to save these people. Yonah says, what kind of change is that? Let them die. Let them drown. Let them destroy them. They're pagans. It's temporary. superficial. God's saying, no, no, but still, no, that's an important step in the history of mankind. Even if it's superficial, even if it's temporary, I'm pleased with it. I'm happy with it. I'm not going to destroy these people.
1: But well, maybe they weren't as far gone as... Right. They probably oh, as right. As I agree. Anymore. No, no, I but agree. I were able to be changed. But maybe right. Part of the, his argument was also, you know, that Abraham was just a very compassionate type of... Yes, yeah, so it might have been emotionally rooted in his compassion. Things.
0: Agreed. Absolutely. Either way. Yeah. Either way and, is fine. And
1: with Noah, you know, it, it says in the Torah that he separated himself from the people. Where do you see that? He, I, I thought it says in here that he lived, you know, that he lived apart from Sounds
0: metrical to me. No, there's no that verse to that effect. I I'd thought I read
1: it because there's no verse. There's no verse. No, the
0: unless you look, look at where you. If you want to look it up, I mean like it's, it's not really out. If you look at, on page. It's on page. Let's say page uh, six. Uh, verse five, page six. God sees how evil mankind is. Their thoughts are only evil all day long. So there's no hope for Teshuva over here. That's one interesting sideline of this whole discussion. There's no hope for these people of teshuvah. They, only. The law, come out before, or
2: after. After, after, after,
0: after. Yeah. So God regrets making mankind. Depressed. Sad. I will, shall erase mankind that I've created. Right? Man, animal, creature creature, birds I regret having made all of them. However, Noah found favor in the eyes of God. Now verse 9. This is the history of Noah. Noah was a righteous person. That means he was wholehearted in his generation. He walked with God. With God walked Noah. So here's a separate interesting person. I mean, what do we say about this kind of person? I mean, how did this happen? It's interesting. Able to deviate from the normal society and yet become a righteous person. A very righteous person. So I'm not sure what you're referring to.
1: Maybe it's just a... Uh
0: it could be a Madrasha comment. Okay. But what's interesting over here is that what would you say about a righteous person? Does righteousness mean that he has all the right attributes? Well, he makes all the right calls? The
1: abominations He didn't? Yeah. yeah. Well, I don't know. Would you call
0: him righteous in that case? Would you call him wholehearted?
1: Yes, I would call him righteous. Well, if you're, doing doing the... if you're not doing the... If you're not doing the abominations good. that everybody else is doing, I mean, because if he wants to destroy the animals, and you know, the people are just...
0: Yeah, that's an co- interesting comment. Beyond right.
1: everything, that he's destroying everything because, you know, the people, are with the animals, yeah, you know, they're, they're cavemen, they're pu- you know. That, right, right, that right. There's no
0: fundamental respect for anybody. Yeah, that's... They lost w- their middle keen notion. Exactly. Correct. And good. he
1: just didn't, maybe he just it repulsed him or something.
0: No, that's, I find that. I so, he, w- w- are you saying he's an averagely good guy, but he just didn't do the abomination, or he really was a righteous person? Or both?
1: But we don't know. <laughs> The well, the words he was better than them. <laughs> he was better than the rest. Better Certainly better than been the rest. Idea. Right, yeah. It's yeah, a good point. There, but, you know, but he obviously didn't find, you know, he didn't think either it's because he saw that they were just so far gone, or he just didn't, you know, that he just felt there was no help. So when that went interesting because built, um and he just.
0: An interesting kind of personality because you could say over here with Noah, on the one hand, one hand, he finds favor in the eyes of God. Would God find favor only because he's relatively good as opposed to being absolutely good? I would think not. I would think that when somebody is finds favor in the eyes of God, that he's really good. One hand. On that same hand, we have this great description. Sadiq Tamin. Tadik, righteous. Wholehearted. He was really a good person. He walks with God. Who else walks with God? Abraham walks with God. That's such an extraordinary statement. On the other hand, the very fact that doesn't pray or hope to change them either. doesn't pray for them as Abraham, nor does he even go out and try to change them, would indicate that he was relatively righteous, not wholehearted, not absolutely righteous. So one would think that a righteous person would pray as Abraham prayed, or at least try to change somebody, a few people, anybody. Only the immediate family saved over here. On the first hand, you can go back to the first hand, which is the hand that says that he's wholly righteous. And he would just simply say, look, these people are too far gone, as you pointed out. Just too far gone. What am I praying for? On the other hand, which is only relatively righteous, one might say that no fully righteous person would ever give up on any human being. Compassion. Something. Something. Do something. So we sort of are really caught in the middle. And there is evidence on both ways. Midrash, of course, comments on this and doesn't make it clear that Midrash... Some people feel they were wonderfully righteous. Some people they were just relatively righteous, not absolutely righteous. Uh, it would seem to be that the most damning of statements against Noah would be that he doesn't pray for anybody else and doesn't care about anybody else, doesn't have compassion for anybody else. So that would make him really relatively righteous, rather than absolutely righteous. But if he's only relatively righteous, why is God saving him and his whole family? So the answer would be because okay, because he's still relatively righteous, and God doesn't look for absolutes. And God says, look, this man is decent.
1: Maybe he knew it was the potential or the potential of his.
0: Well, it could be that. Yeah, it could be that.
1: Because, like you know, we know what happened to Noah as soon as they, they landed back again, as soon as the meal over, what does he do? He plants a vineyard and he gets drunk. Which
0: so seems to, to indicate that he's relatively righteous, not absolutely righteous. So he's a strange person. Very, very strange I a person.
2: person. <laughs> he put like I that think he's all right. Also kinder <laughs> also <laughs> <cleaner> than <laughs> you And my husband. <laughs> <laughs> And and no games to play. No, <laughs> you got to take care of the animals. It's a, it's a, it's a difficult. I'm already c- shoveling th- oh my God! Don't even say it.
0: Not an easy scenario over here. Not an easy scenario. At all. So Noah's an interesting person as compared to Abraham, who immediately prays and you tries. Don't know
2: and so much about Noah. I'm sorry. I think you know so much less about Noah. Yeah, than absolutely. You.
0: Yeah, but we could try to squeeze out of the pesukim, out of the verses, what ideas, what personality traces he had, etc. Coming back to Shaul,
2: mm-hmm.
0: where well, we want to make the point here, Shaul does not wait. What happens? The people are running away. We described already the potential battle scene that's going to take place. He does not wait. The Hebrews, his army, are running away. They cross the Jordan River. They're facing 30,000 chariots and endless numbers of people. Shaul was waiting in the Gilgal. The people all were trembling. He waits the seven days till the time that Shemuel said. However, Shemuel did not come. That is a very intriguing context. We have to ta'am Allah and the people all are running away from him. They're afraid. Sha'ul says, bring for me the animal sacrifice. And he brings the offering. Now, what this seems to indicate is that the moment that he finishes bringing the sacrifice, Shemuel comes, and Shaul comes to greet Shemuel and to bless him, to greet him. So now, what is the saying over here? Did he wait the full seven days or not? The answer is probably not. Shemuel came immediately when he finished the sacrifice. So he waited seven days, but he waited seven full days. So he was halfway, three-quarters, 90% of the way there, but he didn't wait the full seven days.
2: Samuel.
0: Shaul. Shaul. He had to wait seven full days, so Samuel, Samuel came,
2: oh, so, right. and he
0: didn't, he didn't come. He come
2: whole seven seven days.
0: Days. Somehow he missed it. Something. It Somehow. says in verse eight, he waited seven days, yeah. but he didn't wait the full seven days. I'm guessing, days. or do you want right, or do you want to say that he waited a full seven days? Seven days passed. So what should a leader do at that point? This is what sort of throws us into this extraordinarily difficult moral religious spiritual dilemma. He waits seven days. Offers a sacrifice. Shaul comes and challenges and questions and rebukes him for doing this. So obviously Shaul is wrong. What was he wrong about? It was a wait for seven days. So what should the leader do? God's word is absolute. I agree. When I waited seven days you didn't come and the people are running away from me. Look at the next verse. Right? But Yomash Shemuel, what did you do? Shemuel tells him, "What did you do?" Screamingly, <clears throat> man, what did you do? Shemuel says, "I saw the people running away from me. You didn't come at the exact point of time, and the team are g- gathering in to do battle. What should I do? I had to do something. A man of strength and courage and vision does something." But on the other hand, God said, "Wait till Shemuel comes seven days." But I waited seven days. Who says you wait eight days? God doesn't have a, a slow watch, so maybe something happened to Shemuel. I do what I'm supposed to do. A it's a very have difficult have. issue. It
2: is As God. a leader, he should have not waited. Well, the seven days it. for sure.
0: The seven days. So let's yes. assume that because
2: they... Samuel could have been killed.
0: Yes, anything could have happened. And a leader was yes. to do it.
1: Best judgment at that point. Right,
0: so does God want you to, to use best judgment or not?
1: But he said to wait seven days, so he said he followed...
0: But let's assume it wasn't seven days. Let's say we're driven to the position. That the verse that says it was like six and
1: mm-hmm. half
0: maybe or? Six, whatever, six and three quarters, six. Mm-hmm. Eight, and six, six and, well, we don't know that it was counted. that's what it says. He waited seven days to the time that Shemuel said. He that Shemuel didn't come. So Sha'ul's telling people, wait till the seventh day. So, so they waited, all of a sudden people said, Look, it's seventh day now it's now it's supposed to be uh, it's sunset is six thirty. He waits till six o'clock. They so say he's not here we're lo- we're running away. Okay, okay, I'll do the sacrifice. We'll get ready. So Is it not so that when you are interested in God's service, you must do everything exactly right? You have to light Shabbat candles on time. Let's say it's two minutes later. Should we not do it? Should we we not do it or not? Or do it in this case? So in this case, he said seven full days. He waits. Did he wait seven days or not? If you tell me that it's not seven days, that he waited the eighth day, how do we blame him? So I think I'd agree in that case that he waited the seven days, he didn't come, something sort had of happened, people were running away. What more do you want from me? On the other hand, he says he waited seven days. So if our interpretation could be that he waited into the seventh day, without the full seven days, he misunderstood. He acted precipitously, spontaneously, too quickly. And that's destructive. So the lesson over here is that you cannot act on your own. If God said seven days, you have to wait seven days. Not six and a half, not six and a quarter. You have to wait successfully you have not know, wait five and a half. I was five and a half ago. We put
2: them the didn't they confuse those 40 days? With yeah. Moshe HaBanum. Yeah. yeah. Same it's thing. Same
0: thing so it's yeah. similar, I mean, right? I didn't
1: know what a day meant. Well, until sunset.
0: sunset. Wait seven full days. Wait seven days. He waited... Maybe
1: they counted the, the first day as day one instead of second okay, day. Okay, either day way.
0: But see, again... If he miscounted and made a mistake, then why would Shemuel be so angry at him? I don't know to count the first day. I can not count, or count the first day. <clears throat> Here we have anger. Let's see what happens. Shaul has a good rationale for what he did. He says, the people were running away. Now, Fatsa, verse 11. Right? Shemuel said, what did you do? Shaul said, because I saw the people were scattered from me, and you came out within the days appointed. So he's really telling them that I waited the full seven days. And the Philistines would gather themselves at Michmash. So I said, they're going to now attack me. But I have not yet prayed to God. What do I do now? So therefore I was forced to bring the sacrifice. So if we look at the snare that he did wait seven days, and they're ready to attack, and I can't do anything about this, what are you blaming him for? Verse 13 is the condemnation. Yeah. Right, thirteen. You've done foolish. You didn't keep the commandment that God said that I've commanded. They commanded you. So now, because otherwise your throne would have been fixed forever on the Jewish people. Now I see the kind of person that takes mass into his own hand. When God commands, you don't take the mass into your own hand. So then we have to go back and we have to really say that he didn't wait the full seven days. He thought he did, perhaps. He was in the seventh day, perhaps. He did his sacrifice at 6 o'clock because people were running away. So what should he have done? He should have asserted his authority and were saying, wait, you cannot run away. We have to wait until seven full days. And Shemuel would have been there at seven full days. And it said that Shemuel came the last... Right after he finished it, Shemuel came.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: but God wants absolute. He wants absolute. He wants absolutely done. Everything has to be done for the strict letter of the law. It's interesting. Let's say you have um, take a couple they, of,
2: they know the strict letter of the law, are they supposed to reveal it? Or could they use their best judgment in telling the people? Like he, I want like, like, what if he had said, we have to wait 10 days, but in the back of his mind he knew it was only seven, because be? by seven day he felt that they would be hysterical, where if they knew they had a few more days right. to go, are well, you it's better s- off fooling them
0: it's a good question, but, but it's Would probably you not. Tell
2: them exactly what's expected of them?
0: Depending upon the type of people you're dealing with,
2: See, now he had children. Was it, was it, was it, was think about children. In, so right. Important. So
0: think about children now. Mm-hmm. Right? And look, that's the first question. Think about children.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Children ask about sex. Do you want to fool them? Or do you want to ask?
2: You tell them uh, you went to the hospital and you picked out the cutest one. I you know, tell them that. I am so sorry that my mommy isn't telling. Mm-hmm. I was big and I was still believing it. Mm-hmm. You, know, it's like something, you know, you do tell mm-hmm. them a little bit of a story in. As the
0: age appropriate. Now, what about when they're seventeen years old? What do you tell them?
2: No, then you ask them. <laughs> <laughs> you ask them. <laughs> What that about? <clears throat> you ever that movie? No. Now I'm afraid. Rarely <laughs> <laughs> do I, so I'm not uh, worried about that. Um, you what? <laughs> you want to so Beverly fun. Hills? Oh my goodness!
0: So That's uh, so. Well, the question. So, so what? How do you want to train your no, people? Like you no. want to train think you think your children to be, to be adults? Say, you
2: could, I'll give you that in an hour. But to a child, do they know what an
1: hour is? Oh, They're not like children. No, if they, they want it. to
0: be God's people. But they have to learn the same lesson. But
1: really be they've got a massive army ready to... So you them. have to...
0: So the point left. of it would be... Okay, Go. so the point but of it would have been...
2: any leader, are they better off giving them...
0: I think the answer is, what, what do you want to produce? God wants to re- produce mature people who follow... And instead of following exactly the letter of the law.
2: Okay, then he had an obligation to wait the full seven days. Right. It would seem to be. That's the
0: case. That's what God wants to
2: produce. If he's using his best judges, he would say, God will reveal himself in eight days and all that happened in seven days. No, no. So
0: God said, wait, Shemuel said, wait seven days. He panicked. Why would you panic? Yes, the very fact there's 30,000 chariots and 100,000 soldiers that's going to attack us is what? No problem for God. Right? That's the real lesson that Shaul missed. You panicked. You're afraid. Boring. If and there was going two saved, people left, what are you worried about? That. A plague would have broken out among the pillaged deep and they would have all died. You would have won the war.
2: Because a lot of times the wars were won where there was such odds against
0: the... Of course. Underdog. Yeah, absolutely.
2: They've God's
0: been. here. You have to take that into consideration. He didn't take that into consideration. He supposed to be a normative war. I need my soldiers. I need my people. Let me do what I have to do and he charge for it. But then he missed, right, he missed the point. So he didn't wait the full seven days. Otherwise, why should we so angry at him? He was foolish. He didn't keep the commandment that God had commanded him. God would have established your throne forever. Now your throne shall not exist forever. Why? Because Hashem lo ish God wants somebody. This, this is verse 14. Hashem wants somebody that's going to do everything appropriately, properly. Command him to be a prince and lead over his people. You didn't do what God commanded you to do. Right? Shaul does not act in any way that indicates he understands the message. What does he do? He's not one word spoken. Now, the reason that is so important for us is because is there any hope to change that decree against Shaul? Any hope? Well, he's tested again. <clears throat> right, exactly the point. If we look at the beginning of chapter fifteen, right? it seems to be that fifteen is giving him another chance. This is on page three forty two Yes look at the opening look at the opening line. We over shemael Shaul she will Shaul, God sent me to anoint you as king over the nation of Israel." Now hear the words So this becomes, your direct responsibility as king over Israel. So this seems to be now, again, a make or break situation. This is a direct commandment. Because you're king, because you anointed as king, do exactly what I'm telling you now. Hopefully, you've got the message. But when God says do exactly, He means exactly. Koromah, So says, God, I take a note over the evil of Amalek when they left Egypt, Right? Now you have to go and you have to destroy Amalek, destroy all that they have, don't have any compassion over them, kill every single man, woman, and child, which of course is very difficult for us to read, very difficult, every ox, every sheep, every camel, every donkey. Everything. Now, again, when we read this section, we have to raise the question, why is this right, why is it fair, why is holy war actually practiced? Very difficult. If we try to understand in terms of the evil, every man, woman, and child was evil, a culture of evil?
2: Is it, is it evil if it's
0: from directly spoken from Hashem? No, I'm talking about whether I'm a the evil. The commandment from God can't be evil.
2: Right, so then it wasn't an evil deed. Right,
0: exactly. It cannot be viewed as an evil deed. Although, from our human point of view, we still want to understand. Why is it not an evil deed? Just because
2: you don't understand it doesn't
0: mean it. Agreed. Okay, agreed. So we need to have a certain measure almost of blind faith. When God says to do X, it cannot be viewed as evil. It has to be viewed as a righteous, meritorious deed, even though it makes no sense to us. But still in all, place yourself in that person's shoes. Now, it might have been for those soldiers 3,000 years ago, this was a normative way of doing battle. So to them, it was nothing unusual. Pagans did it. We did it. and, And what's in that result? It shows, from the Jewish point of view, the absolute, total disgust that you have with the evil perpetrated by Amalek, you're destroying them not because so much you're that concerned about the Holy War per se, but to show that we hate what you stand for.
2: Well, all these rules are really against a people, not so much the claim the land.
0: I say, well, in this case it's against an ideology. In general, in general, the, the wars to claim the land happen in Joshua, the Book of Joshua and Shoftim. Okay. Here it's mainly an issue of the ideology of Amalek. You want to root out a certain ideology. Nazism, we want to root it out. We don't want any vestiges left. We want to show our complete, total disgust of it. Interesting is that America chose not to do that. America chose to rebuild through the Marshall Plan Germany. And what do you have now in Germany? All kinds of anti-Semitism. You have still a Hitlerian movement. We didn't root it out. We didn't show that we were really disgusted by it. Now, I'm not saying, therefore, that one should have gone and bombed Germany silly. I'm not saying that. On the other hand, whether that was appropriate or not appropriate will be seen.
2: should have bombed everybody there.
1: If you go and buy what they did here, I would say yes.
0: That's true. That's true. And Germany could have been Amalek. And it's still there. That's the irony of it. I mean, you're still hearing, you know, these... By
2: not killing him, like, he left that one seed that perpetuates...
0: Evil. That evil. Right. That's exactly what seems to happen. Very difficult. So you're going to kill children. I mean, if you were a soldier in those days, that might have been normal for them. But for us, let's say you told me to go into a Vietnamese village and kill all the children, because you... You'd have a hard time. I'd have a hard time. And Hashem wants you to have a hard time,
2: (laughs) right? On the the other hand, yeah, I don't want to kill (laughs) any flies.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Oh my goodness. With a mosquito too, so it's good thing. But he doesn't
0: (laughs) bug. So it's difficult. Nevertheless, what happens? So Shaul hears it. Shaul gathers the people. He counts them. Has everybody? They do this battle. But he is compassionate. And therefore, in verse 6, he says to the Kenites, another tribe of people, they were not Amalekites, not bad people, he says, leave these people. You're too close to them. I don't want you to be caught up in a battle against them. You did a favor, Hasid. Amalek is anti hasid you are pro hasid So I don't want you to be caught up with them. So therefore, it wasn't rampage and killing anybody indiscriminately. This is only directed towards the evil of Amalek. And keep in mind as well that the halachah does teach that if anybody wants to become a decent human being, keep the seven High commandments, don't steal, don't don't do adultery, etc., keep them alive. So children did not have that right to to not choose, but anybody that said, look, I want to stay alive. So therefore, anybody, and we have the statement made about Joshua, that he did send out this letter, madrashically at least, maybe actually as well, so he did another letter saying to anybody, if you want to do battle, do battle. If you want to change, become Jewish, become Jewish. If you want to become, just get to shot. Do seven, don't kill do not don't kill adultery. Don't be cruel to animals, don't curse God. Don't run down to idols and have courts of law, right? Courts of righteousness. Say that justice leave you alive. So Joshua says, let's assume perhaps, shall said the same thing to Amalekites. If you want to do battle, we're going to do battle. I'm going to destroy all of you. I really want you to become decent human beings. So if a Nazi comes along along and says, look, I don't want to be Nazi. I want to become a decent human being. I want to become an American citizen. So we accept him. As long as you take the Nazism out of the Nazi, then we'd accept him. Maybe you cannot do so. Who knows? For a child, the child can't answer. So what happens? He gets caught up in the total war effort, which is true of all war efforts in all children. When somebody bombs, everybody gets killed. That's what happens. But the leadership and the people could have everybody, And maybe that's the reason why you're including children, because you want to save everybody. So you tell them, all oh, change people, change. If you come change, no problem. Then we become one big happy family. to you convert to Judaism, we become a settled resident alien, which means a get to Shah. Seven, 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 eight, nine. Not a full Jew. These are the commandments. But if we do battle, we're going to extinct you. We're going to be totally rampaging against you. So here, <clears throat> Sha'ul asks the kinney to leave. And then he goes about his business. He smites the Malachites. He catches Agag Haida. What possessed Shaul to let him live? Hard to understand. No clue. What possessed him?
2: Because you know what? He had compassion on him. Yeah, but kings were feared as gods, And he might have, in the back of his mind, had such fear of... No. Had right. Fear. <laughs> well, he's a king also. God. All right, either that. <clears throat> so God's work... Yeah, but he might not have saw himself as a God. Shaul did not. Right. Of course not. But right. Well, the others... When they became the king, they became the god of that territory. Right, right, right. The territorial god. Yes, yeah, absolutely. So or, or, that, imagine what he will do if I kill him. His god.
0: That could have been interesting. Have been
2: a powerful so enough it, god to smite So of that's an
0: interesting issue because then he's saying that he placed the god of Israel over the god of the Philistines. No, I'm not
2: too off the mark.
0: Of. I don't know if he's so theologically inclined. He may have had compassion over this king because he's a king too. How's a poor king? He's a king. I'm a king. Why should I, I don't want to kill a king? Or maybe he begged, and it's just sad to see a king begging. He had compassion over the king and over the best of the cattle, al bakar, the cattle, the, the sheep. So then, of course, what happens over here next is the response of Shmuel to this. I'm going to stop now, but next week we want to close this chapter and try to figure out what went wrong over here. What did Shaul not understand? What didn't he get? And take
2: careful note. Yeah. The one that picked out Shaul?
0: Well, Hashem told him. Yes, Hashem told him, choose this person.
2: Okay. So now he's sorry that he did that. Hashem
0: is sorry, actually. Mm -hmm. We'll see that next week. Next week, but what did Shaul do wrong over here? Was it the fact that he had compassion over Amalek?
1: Okay. Okay, is
0: that it? Or is it the fact that when he was told that? He didn't do teshuvah. He
2: didn't, do, didn't seem like he did teshuvah either time. Exactly. My
0: exactly my point. So we want to see that more closely next week. Exactly what happened to Shaul? And maybe the critical variable over here is that he didn't do teshuvah, as opposed to not necessarily following the word of God, with the combination of both. That's what we'll see next week. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Tape. Goodbye.